the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3 this Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. I always look forward to our third hour in Tuesdays because I get to hang out with my very dear friends, Hugh and Lewis Holman. Hugh Holman is the former mayor of Tempe and an attorney in town and educator. And Lewis Holman is the managing uh, director of Insight Analytics, Insight Analytics LLC. Dot com is his website, and Insight is spelled I-N-C-I-T-E. We're going to talk COVID, we're going to talk politics, uh, and we're going to talk about the state of Arizona and politics and all kinds of things. So feel free to give us a call if you have any questions. These guys are bright guys. 602-508-0960. Let's start, as we usually do, with the COVID scene um, uh, broadly, uh, but let me put it this way let me pitch it this way we are it's almost seems like this news is trying to get out it's 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 like it's it's almost as if all of a sudden it's hard for certain officials to make covid seem as bad as they used to be able to do so with such ease but we are hearing uh hearing uh, statements and seeing stories here and there without the uh, ticker and uh on tv and the blazing sirens that cases are increasing hospitalizations are increasing and we should be very, very worried about this. Talk to me. Well, uh, you know, there is a kernel of truth in all of this, and there's a kernel of nonsense in all of this. So the long and short of it is that we are starting to see, both in Arizona and in many places around in the rest of the country and abroad, um, increased COVID activity from the winter, right? We are entering into what is the traditional flu season, uh, so people are generally, you know, they're more indoors, they're more together, they're more uh, 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 sort of in close quarters, and therefore it is easier significantly for the virus to spread. So to put some concrete numbers on this here, uh, in the last 100 days or so, Arizona has been seeing about 900 positive COVID cases per day on average and about 27 deaths per day. On average, so a case fatality right there, of I think that works out to about three percent off the top of my head. Um, that is uh, pretty near where we've been through, through most of the, the the whole pandemic. Arizona's ride has been a little unusual. We saw a big sort of spike in the middle of the summer, and we're sort of we're now at a level that is significantly, and I want to reiterate that significantly lower than where we were in the summer. Currently, we're seeing um, probably about 14, 15 deaths a day compared to a high of about 80 per day in that summer. So, again, much, much lower than where we were at. You can see this also starting to pick up in the hospitalization data. So I think when we were last in studio, uh, about 8% of the ICU beds uh, and inpatient beds were occupied by COVID patients. Those figures in recent weeks, uh, in the last two weeks, have increased uh, by a full third, up to 11% of beds occupied by COVID patients. Um, a 33% increase, but it, right. it is small. Moving in the wrong direction, but 
minorly and slowly in the wrong direction. That is not to say that we don't take this very seriously. The, the reality is every winter we have a flu spike. We haven't lost our minds about that. In, in 2009-10, or 8-9, I should say, we could have because the data keeps being reanalyzed and we got very lucky. Why do I say that? In that flu spike, we had the H1N1 flu, which turns out to have been related to the 1957 pandemic. Right. And because it was related, the people who were born before and in, two th- in uh, 1957 all had antibodies to it. So our elderly did not suffer from that flu, and it was causing grave un- queries. Why is it that young people are dying from this, not old people? Well, Barack Obama and his administration got very, very lucky because the pandemic from 1957, which was allowed to take its course, had caused an entire population of elderly people to have antibodies to that particular H1N1. And as a result, it was a young person's disease, not an old person's disease. Well, Donald Trump got the other end of that lucky stick. Uh, And instead, we have a disease for which our elderly are subject. And the trends we are seeing continue to make it painfully clear that we know who's at risk. 65 and older, protect yourself. And you should. You got kids living with you. Maybe you need to distance yourself from those children. Children who need to go to school, you probably don't want to go visit grandma. We know that we've got vulnerable people who can be and should be protected. But that doesn't require the entire society to shut down. And we'll continue to beat that drum because the price we're paying for people who are under age 65 and in particular people who are under age 20 is devastating. And we're not talking about that enough. And Seth, I know you do because you spend a significant amount of your time in a great charity called Not My Kid to try to help kids who are exposed to drug and alcohol abuse that who end up addicted. And we're seeing the trends that you have talked about on your show since the beginning of this, where we've got increases in suicide and children at risk precisely because they're no longer connected to their peers and out doing things that make them healthier. And so we've got our state newspaper of record talking about the fact that uh, there's concern about the fact that children should be uh, protected from gatherings outside of school. Now, remember, just a month and a half ago, people were saying you can't send kids to school because they'll die. And now the data is very clear. School may be the safest place for kids. And if we then preclude them from participating in the kinds of activities that would make them mentally more stable and healthy, we're seeing, as a result, an increase in suicides and an increase in addictive behavior that's absolutely devastating. And the loss of their education is putting these kids behind day after day, farther and farther back from where they would be. We will, I think, see a very big change in the trajectory of the students who have lost their education. And we'll see that in the years to come, the decades to come, as they never recover from, the, from this treatment and end up losing opportunities in life. Go ahead. Couldn't agree more. Those uh, the developmental scars of this are going to last for uh, um, decades. Mm-hmm. This is going to follow that cohort uh, probably for the rest of their lives uh, due to the educational disruptions. I did also want to bring it back, though. While I had said that Arizona uh, is seeing the beginnings of a of a spike, I actually want to point out that the United States as a whole, uh, in sort of these last three months has actually had an improved position with respect to mortality. So in the first four months of the pandemic, we were seeing a little over 1,030 deaths per day. Mm -hmm. In the most recent three months, we're now seeing about 850 per day. Mm -hmm. However, the kicker here 
is that we are seeing significantly more cases now, 54,000 a day versus 30,000 a day. Why is this? Because we are testing more. Our testing rate in those two periods has, between those two periods has gone up 250%. Right. So, right. The last time, yeah, the, it, it's, uh, I haven't done my COVID analysis in a couple of days, but I think when I was looking at it yesterday or the day before at the most, so Sunday or Monday at the most, the, 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 positivity rate is going down and the negativity rate is going up. It's really quite an amazing thing how much testing has been done. Now, the spread that we're talking about, is it, um, can, are, we, are we comfortable in, in analyzing how much of, is it or, of it is organic, the increase, the case increase, and how much of it is from testing? So again, um, if, our testing, if we are testing two and a half times as much, yeah. I, I should I think I misspoke. I, I may have said it went up 250%. Yeah. It has it is gone up 150% okay. to a total of 250% of what it was. Okay. Sorry, sorry to make that a little confusing for people. Um, so a lot of this increase is going to be driven by the fact that we are looking more. Um, and and were we not, were we testing the same amount? It is, it's very, very likely that we would see or we would be observing a corresponding decrease in But cases. I'm going to put in a footnote, and that footnote is that we continue to test and report tests, not patients. Right. And to the extent that you have people taking multiple tests, because now there is pretty clear, many, many employers are saying, if you test positive, you cannot come back to work until you test negative. Right. Although they're now, CDC is saying, no, go back to work if you are 10 days out from your, for your, from your first positive test and your symptoms have abated. Why? Because there are some people in our population who are continuing to test positive, notwithstanding the fact that it is clear that they are no longer infectious and that they can be testing positive for weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months. That uncertain population, the data is still too rough to really get a good understanding of it, but it's happening. Right. So we may have cases overreported because you're reporting people who've tested positive multiple times uh as cases. That would then argue that your mortality rate is actually higher. On the other side of that, we still don't have the kind of testing we need, which is a blind test of the population to see how broadly spread the non-infectious, or I should say, the, the asymptomatic people are. And if it really is still 80%, then you got to divide that mortality rate by five. Yeah. And that'll tell you your true mortality rate. And we still can't get our state to undertake such a process. It's, it's an amazing thing that we haven't done that more broadly. Is it a highly expensive venture? Is that part of the problem? It is not. Okay. It is nonsense to say you could do a random test of 3,000 people in Maricopa County, and you'd probably get that done for something under $200,000. And that would give you a lot of good data to understand how to deal with this. You were telling me the story about someone who heard from Maricopa County. I want to do that on the the other side. Here's a tease. Let's tease you. We're going to talk about one person's experience. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. We're going to talk about some really good news that uh, Hugh Hallman has uh, for Republicans in Arizona in just a moment. Um, but first, tell the story about this guy, you know, this friend you were telling me about with the with Maricopa County, Hugh. This so, is an amazing story. Here's a reason why we 
should have a jaundiced eye towards government's ability to do much uh, in even a pandemic. Uh, so a friend of mine hands me uh, an envelope that was received postmarked November 12th. Okay. Right? Does that, that make sense? Does you? that make sense? Yeah, yeah. This being November 10th? Exactly. Okay. So it, it actually is put, well, of course, this was maybe a, a ballot uh, envelope. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry. It is postmarked November 6th. Okay. And this was sent to somebody who tested positive for COVID-19 on October 12th. Uh-huh. So not quite a month, but close to a month later. And it is the letter that Maricopa County's Department of Health, uh, Public Health sent out to tell this person, number one, they tested positive. Number two, as a result, they should now quarantine for 10 days to protect themselves and their loved ones. Three and a half weeks out from their positive test. Correct. So um, almost four weeks out. And so the 10 days passed on October 22nd. And so to alert somebody that they should quarantine two weeks late doesn't really help very much. Now, this person happened to have immediately, when they found out they were exposed, immediately quarantined, self-quarantined in home. Uh, and so this is somebody who took great responsibility for it. And, and I understand contacted everybody they'd come in contact with to make sure that they didn't infect anybody and they were all taking care of themselves. The right things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, it's not, uh, this person tells me, it's not about getting the disease. They're fine and completely healthy. It's do you infect somebody who is at risk? Did you infect somebody who is elderly or has some comorbidity that might put them at risk? That's what this disease is about. And frankly, we ought to be doing that with the flu. We ought to be doing that with other respiratory diseases that we already know. In fact, I asked this question. Now we're all supposed to wash your hands after going to the bathroom. What were you doing before? I know. You know, now hotels are cleaning their rooms and uh, and airlines are cleaning their planes. What on earth were you doing before? Now we mean it. Now we're washing our hands. Really? Come on, folks. In society, we all need to undertake these behaviors Regardless of whether or not we've got a COVID-19 pandemic, we should have been washing our hands before. It's what I at least taught most of my sons. No, we, we germaphobes who, you know, act a lot like Jerry Seinfeld or something. You know, we, this has been, you know, this has been very normalizing for us. Yes. We, are, we are now less the... We, we, You're no longer we, the yeah, freak show. Yeah, we aren't the freak show anymore. We were ahead of the curve, ahead yeah. of our time, I guess. There is a downside to, uh, to the overuse of hand sanitizer. And that is that we are likely going to be subject to some virulent version of various diseases because we're killing off all the competitors that we otherwise would live with. So my my wife put all of her sons in the in the dirt out in front of our house and made them roll around and eat dirt just to make sure that they developed immunities to the various things that are in existence in the society. So it's a wonderful uh, little Darwinian uh, 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 assist. (laughs) Yes, indeed, indeed. You have good news about what Republicans did in Arizona. Yeah, so uh, there's a a really bright spot here, and that is to say that those folks who really love Donald Trump have to wrap their minds around the fact that there are a lot of Republicans who did not and were not convinced that Donald Trump is a a conservative uh, and did not vote for him. Why do I say that it's about Donald Trump? Well, we knew going into this that there weren't Democrats who were voting for for Joe Biden. They were just voting against Donald Trump. Well, there were some Republicans, too. Why do I say it that way? Because look across what happened in this state. 
the state of Arizona's Republican Party retained the House of Representatives at the State House, retained the Senate at the State House. Maricopa County, which everybody was saying has gone completely blue. In fact, Adrian Fontes, the county recorder, may have lost his seat. The county sheriff. Democrat. He's a Democrat. The county sheriff. That was a clear one. We didn't mount much. And and Paul Penzone is very well liked in the the conservative community. He's a pretty conservative guy. The county attorney looks to be a Republican. The county board of supervisors. Only one seat looks like it flipped. That is Jevin Hodge versus Jack Sellers. And it's not because Jevin Hodge is a Democrat and Jack Sellers is a Republican. It's because Jevin Hodge worked his tail off. That kid walked that district, mailers upside down and every which way. So you look at what happened in the rest of the ballot and the state of Arizona demonstrated it's still a red state, folks. And across the country, the Republican Party picked up seats in the House of Representatives. That's impressive when you lost the presidency. And so I have to accept, and Republicans who love Donald Trump are going to have to accept, that their brethren in the Republican Party may not respect the current president like they'd like them to, but it doesn't mean that the future of the Republican Party is dim. In fact, I think it's the opportunity for the Republican Party to reconnect itself and go back to what we used to have, a fairly big tent made up of folks who were strong on defense, folks who were looking for a smaller government, and a whole host of other kinds of issues that brought us together under that tent. And if we can now remember this experience that cannibalism is expensive, we might actually go forward in four years and pick up the presidency again and perhaps push the House back into the Republican category. You can actually you can see this not only at the state level level but the federal level as well. You know, we expected or we were told rather that uh, Trump was going to lose the popular vote right. by eight full percentage points, and it turned out to only be I think three point seven or three point three percentage points. Um, so sig- less than half of what we predicted. We were uh, uh, told that the Republicans would lose this, the House and lose the Senate. Well, the House was no surprise, but we picked up you know picked up ground there. And the Senate currently stands at, if you assume North Carolina and Alaska, which have not been called by the AP still, uh, those senatorial seats are going to go to the, the Republicans is what it looks like. We're at 50 right now versus 46 Democrats, two independents that caucus with the Democrats. So all we're waiting on is two Senate seats in Georgia for the special election both of which seem to be leaning R. And got to only pick up one to retain the Senate. And the beauty of that, the great news for conservatives is it keeps Democrats from packing the court and it keeps them from creating two new states. And it forces them, holding the House and the presidency, to actually try to govern, which is going to be a new thing in these uh, uh, out of these last four years, which we have not seen. It's very, very easy to howl and complain and burn down a barn very, very hard to actually put forth the legislation, get stuff passed, and move the country forward. Well, what's going to be interesting is, given what uh, the Democrats did to Donald Trump with his appointees, how are the Democrats now going to complain when a Republican Senate, which, knock on wood, pick up one of those Georgia seats? Um, you got to have it, because if you end up 50-50, now or that is 48 plus 2, which are Democrats, and a 50 Republicans, you got Kamala Harris now breaking the tie. Right. So that's a very painful experience. Now Republicans need to very much focus on Georgia and making sure they pick up at least one of those seats. That's the one. Uh, yeah, it would, it would, it would, we, we Republicans learned a lot about how to behave in the Senate 
when uh, the president is of a different party, right? Didn't we? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Quite a play. Conservatively and don't change the rules yeah. mid-game. Mid oh, wait a minute. If it's That's a too late now. nomination, yeah. um, go get your high school textbook, you know, or yearbook, I should say. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll talk some more politics and everything else with the Hallmans when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you are interested in selling your house, planning on or thinking about selling your home, you want to call my buddy James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. He really is a good buddy, and um, I know a lot of friends have used him, and they think of hi- as highly of him as I do. He guarantees to sell your home at market value, or he will pay you the difference. And if it's more convenient for you, he can also make you an upfront guaranteed offer within 24 hours. No risk to you ever. James will always let you out of a contract anytime if you want. He sells more homes over $500,000 than any other agent in Phoenix and Scottsdale, though. Give James Wexler a call at 480-386-0711 or visit him online at jameswexler.com. That's James Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R.com. To the phones, boys? Sure. Nice. Jeff in Phoenix. Hi, Jeff. You're on with the Holmans. Hey, how's it going? We're doing good. Awesome. So, a couple things. First of all, uh, Hugh and Lewis, I really want, I just want to say a thank you again to all the work you put into this and all the information that you provide for us because um, I can tell you from my from my point of view, um, it's uh, there's no monetary amount I can put on it because from what I listen to everyone else out there and all the media and everything else, Doug Ducey's press conferences, I mean – you guys are invaluable, and I can. I just want to say that to you, and thank That's you. It's beautiful, Jeff. That's very thank kind. Thank, thank you, you so much. So, Lewis, how can we attract other people? I honestly believe, I'm, I'm sure you have a very high, high IQ. Um, your analytics and your, your perspective on things is great. How can we attract other people? I'm 57. I know you're in the younger generation. <laughs> how can we attract people to fact and not this uh, hype? How can we attract people to actually the younger generation, these people that have been fed all these lies to actually investigate now and realize that they're being fed lies. So I I think I've got a pretty atypical view and set of views for someone my age. So the the short answer is I'm not really sure that I'm I'm a very good example to turn to. But uh, I would think that the Republicans and conservatives in general have really ceded a lot of ground to the uh to the left um and particularly what i what i mean is that they've they've sort of given up uh on using compassion as a message right democrats effectively always claim to be coming from a place of compassion and making things you know better for the little guy uh which i think and optically i think that the the right has really given up on that and there are lots of compassionate reasons i think to agree with with more right leaning policies, and I think that maybe a, a a restatement of why we want what we want that is more accessible to people is, I think, first and foremost, what we need to do. How does that settle with the two of you? Well, certainly, I I think your philosophy expl- explanation of uh, effectively liberty versus brotherhood versus so we've got these different values. And conservatives are always painted as if the only thing they care about is money and numbers. 
and we don't very carefully articulate the why. The reason I believe in smaller government has a lot to do with the fact that I want more people to be successful and experience the opportunity. Ronald Reagan even understood we need a safety net and talked about that passionately and compassionately in a way that helped him bridge to Democrats who understood that there are people who are not going to do very well in a society when you have to survive on your wits and your ability. Um, I'm never going to be a good basketball player, but there are a lot of people who are on the lower tail of the distribution of, of human attributes. And you're never, notwithstanding, uh, you know, no child left behind, you're never going to take the bottom 50 percent in whatever attribution distribution you want to talk about, intellect or ability or anything. They're not going to suddenly pop up and be above the 50 percent mark. It doesn't work when you're talking about the top half of the distribution. Those folks are going to make it. A lot of the folks below are going to make it, but there are still people we have to help. And as a conservative, I think the best way to do that is by creating jobs and an education system that makes it more likely that those people are going to succeed. Because I can tell you one thing government doesn't do very well, handouts. We create a permanent class of people who themselves feel like failures. And we have done that to them. We've destroyed their humanity. And we as conservatives can talk about that and do a much better job articulating it. What do you think, Lou? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll come back on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Lewis Hallman. And the other he is Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I only take one thing, and I take it every single day, and that's my balance of nature. I've been taking it for over a year, and it has done wonders for me. It has boosted my immunity. It has improved my health. It is a great product full of potent, healthy stuff from bananas and blueberries to zucchini and spinach and garlic and cayenne pepper. You take it just once a day, and you get tens of thousands of vital nutrients from 100% whole food plants. It is the most effective whole food supplement on the market, and you can get it yourself with a great deal they have, offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. 800-246-8751, or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code BALANCE. I'm fascinated by the question Jeff asked, which is about the young people and was it how, how did he pitch it conservative values conservative how do we get uh, people my age to join and vote republican right and um yes lewis is 31 years younger than i am <laughs> but that 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 is you know in the in the heart or in the sweet spot of what i recommend people are probably tired of hearing about it but um hugh you are a founder of schools um, and you know this, uh, and I, I think you agree with me. I don't want to speak for you, but I think the greatest single error the conservative movement made was allowing the left to take over the curriculum and textbooks of our schools um, at the elementary and secondary level. We paid a lot of attention to the post-secondary for, for a long time, but then a weird thing happened. And that weird thing is that conservative academics, maybe because they didn't have a lot of choices, but they even they just gave up the fight of trying to get tenure 
and started going to think tanks instead. Now, I understand if there's no reasonable shot at getting tenure, you have no choice. But the entire warp and woof of education from kindergarten to uh, uh, college and graduate school has been swept away, uh, has, sw- has been swept up by the left. And until we get back there, and we can do it, we can at least do it at the elementary and secondary levels. I think higher education is a bigger challenge because of the way that works. But at the elementary and secondary level, we can do this. I want people to run for school board. You know, there's a story I remember reading about a woman in 1998 who almost got run over in Los Angeles, um, jaywalking, but jayrunning across La Cienega Boulevard uh, late to a school board meeting. I can guarantee you that woman would have been a Democrat, and I can guarantee you that probably happens 14,000 times a year. That was the most important thing she needed to do that day at risk of her life was to get to that school board meeting, and we don't do that. You are correct, and it is a problem we've been having for 30 years or more. So when I was first decided to go ahead into the trenches and run for office myself. I ran for city council in Tempe. And the drumbeat was that if I got elected, I would turn it into a Republican stronghold. Certainly, the Democrats pushed on that partisanship piece when I ran for mayor. But in the interim period, in those early years, I was going to district meetings, and Tempe was split into two districts, and I would go to both, um, my own and the one to the south. And the fascinating piece was that the partisans there, that is fellow PCs, were completely uninterested, not disinterested, uninterested in having any conversation about what was going on at the city level and at the school board level. And I was beating the drum trying to explain, folks, these are our benches. If you get Republicans elected to school board and to council, that is the bench to build our team into the legislative district. And nobody was interested. Why? And it's the, the disease has gotten worse, not better. Just look at Twitter feeds. Even our legislators down at the state capitol are more interested in federal issues, and I'm putting air quotes around that, because that's where all the action is and all the constituents are interested in those big issues. And we can't get people to remain interested and engage in these local-level issues. Well, the Democrats are sweeping every bit of that up. That's why Maricopa County is at risk for tipping over into blue hands in all of those county seats. Well, we hung on to uh, the county attorney. We hung on to three of the board of supervisors. In fact, I owe Bill Gates an apology. I called and left him a message uh, sad about the fact that it looked like he'd lost his seat. I did the same with Steve Reicher. I I owed him an apology. And he sent an email out about a day and a half later saying, it ain't over, folks. The fat lady ain't sung. And in fact, he turned it around and recaptured his seat on that vote count. And the sadness is, uh, we didn't quite get to this, Donald Trump lost in the state of Arizona because 50,000 votes went to the libertarian candidate. Yeah, talk and those about are not that. people. Look that. around the country. Yeah. President Trump lost, and folks are angry if I say lost because I know they're, you're one of them. I'm not, I'm not in that category. You're not I'm in not that in category. the category of declaring he has lost yet. And, and I, I am only because the, the, I'm not, it's not because I hate the man, uh, but because the reality of politics are such that this doesn't come out well. Here's what I'm going to say. If Donald Trump lost, part of it is about what Hugh's going to yes. say right now. There we go. <laughs> okay. I'll take that as conditional. Okay. If the president lost, All right. look, at the, look at the states that 
are on the line. And the answer is the libertarian candidate who is not taking votes from uh, the Joe from Joe Biden. They were helped onto the ballot by Democrats getting those signatures collected in the same way that Republicans used to make sure that there was a green candidate right. on the ballot. Right. And we have stopped doing that kind of work. It's the same point to the school board and the local elections. We are no longer doing the grassroots work. We got fat and arrogant. And as a result of that heavy setness and that arrogance, we have lost our grassroots. Those grassroots have not gotten the water they needed. They've dried up. And the result is that you start losing at the top of the ticket. Yeah, and it happens without people even knowing it sometimes, or at least even being aware of it, I should say. I had a friend the other day telling me about how Phoenix City Council, Phoenix is Republican City Council. And I said, no, 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 this is not 1982, my friend. We have two Republicans, maybe three on the city council with a Democratic mayor and have for some time now, right? Yeah, the, a, a lot of people are just unaware of what's going at going on at the moment. The left was smart with their bumper stickers and their um, invocations of Tip O'Neill's notion that all politics is local. Well, we, in fact, we were dumb not to follow that. That's correct, and not to remember it. And importantly, the labor movement is responsible for those local election yeah. changes because they have a reason. The firefighters have a reason to make sure that people who are going to support them are elected to those local offices, both school board, uh, county board of supervisor, the uh, Rio Salado or the, the Maricopa County Community College District. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Be right back with some closing thoughts. My name is Namrita Singh Gujral. I am a filmmaker and an immigrant. My film, America's Forgotten, uncovers the unintended consequences of a broken immigration system. The seven-year-old girl died in the desert. This child came from the country of India. I'm living in Tachara. I can go to the police. I never expected this journey would lead me to a truth that I never intended to find. A great pillar of the community was killed by a man who had been deported at least twice. The public would be outraged if they knew the truth. I found how much Americans are being lied to regarding our immigration policies at the border. My friends, my industry, even my family, all rallied against the final message of this film. All credits had to be hidden for fear of retribution. If you care about the future of America, you should watch America's Forgotten. Go to SalemNow.com, use promo code PHOENIX for 20% off. Remember that song, Hugh? WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, it's KKNT in uh, Phoenix. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Closing thoughts, Lewis Holman. Start with you, sir. So this was a very, very interesting election cycle, just just long and short of it, from the inaccurate polling uh, uh, causing potentially uh, either suppressed turnout or other issues. Who, who can say? But I think what I really want to focus on is the coverage of election night itself. When we saw what was, to my eyes, sort of phenomenally grotesque gamesmanship uh, with the calling of states extremely early for Joe Biden and very, very late for Donald Trump, North Carolina and Alaska are still not called, despite it being fairly clear that those will both go to the president. So all of this, what what this has done, in effect, is helped to establish a narrative that that Biden has been and, and was for the entire race ahead of Donald Trump. 
and that Donald Trump now, in his position from behind, is sort of angrily trying to reach around and snatch away Joe Biden's victory laurels. And a lot of this narrative is maintained and kept by the order in which the information had been presented. And so I put it to you that if, if the if, if the visuals had been different and the gamesmanship not so egregious, I think that we would be in a very, very different position right now than we are currently. You pick up on that. I think, Lewis, the best example of that was the New York Times headline. The New York Times headline. Biden beats Trump. That was a personal statement by the New York Times of victory that the president had lost, not that Joe Biden had won. And while I will admit I yet have not called the race, my concern is that we have got to start building immediately to make sure that in two years we retake the House and that we build on the Senate majority, because if we don't, the gamesmanship will get worse and our society can be changed irreparably. You pack the court or you add two states, the game is really tough for conservatives and we cannot take that risk. So we got to get back out onto the grassroots and rebuild to make sure that we don't have close races in the future. Yeah, they can't cheat if it's not uh, if it's not close, right? Correct. Exactly right. I'm Seth Leibson. They are the Hallmans until tomorrow. God bless you and class dismissed.